The extended forecast for Christmas Day is finally out, and the odds are not good for a white Christmas in greater Cleveland. And that's the last bit of fluff we're going to be talking about on Today in Ohio today. We have a lot of news to talk about on the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn, here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston. Feels like this week is dragging a bit, but we're getting near the end of it. Let us begin. Is Ohio doing with sports gambling what it did with medical marijuana, dragging its feet to delay it as long as possible? What's the latest timeline and why are things taking so long, Laura? Well, I don't think it's going to take quite as long as medical marijuana, but there are a lot of similarities, especially when you think that all of our neighboring states have started before us. But the Ohio Casino Control Commission is a state agency that's tasked with setting up most of this new system. And they said Wednesday they don't plan to even accept applications from sports betting operators until summer or fall of next year. They also have got to set up all of these individual rules that betting will operate under. And they say each of those will take about six months and they can't be submitted and approved all at the same time. Obviously, it's not going to be completely sick because they do have a hard deadline of January 1st, 2023. And it sounds like state lawmakers, are that's when they're probably going to roll it out. I mean, I, it, it, so we're talking about a year from now. Yeah, it makes no sense to me it's going to take that long. This isn't very hard. Other states have done it much more quickly. There's already a group that's pointing out Ohio is going to set the, the record or, or close for taking longer than everybody else from the point of approval to the end. And, and I bring up medical marijuana because there was going to be a push to put a question on the ballot to legalize medical marijuana. The legislature didn't want the people to write that law, so they decided to write the law. And then the state did everything it could to delay as long as possible the providing of that, every set of deadlines. This has the same feel, and I just don't get it. The, the, the people want this. The legislature passed it. Why aren't they going to get it moving? Is this a Mike DeWine thing? Is he anti-gambling? No, Mike DeWine basically said, give me the give me the bill. I will sign it. I will get this going. He wants it. And it actually took us three years of debate to even get here. It was bogged by all these disagreements about which state agencies should regulate it, how they're going to award gaming licenses, what kind of operators are going to be allowed, and where they could physically locate them. So we've had a lot of time to work out these details, but they still need to set up all of these consumer protection and advertising restrictions and licensing requirement for would-be operators. This is isn't like as simple as just saying here here's a license do sports betting because of what the way that sports are there's like a lot of regulations that go in so that people could they could try to protect the the actual competition so that's not getting thrown all the time I, I i i can't even think about all of the things they're going to need to do to make sure that this is all up on the up and up but i, I guess that's what the next I, year is I, for. I, I think that's completely bogus <laughs> Look, we're not the first state. We're probably no. the last state to do this. It's been done elsewhere. You know, when, when the state wants to do something they're interested in, like make guns legal with no permits, they can do that overnight. They could do it in a hurry. If Mike DeWine wanted this to happen in anything like short order, he could merely make it happen. Okay. He's you, the you chief think, executive. Well, sure, he's the chief executive, but, I mean, it's been pretty clear in the past year that he doesn't control the legislature. 
No, but they've passed it. It's well, now in the hands of the administrative people and the casino control people. I mean, th- this is no longer a legislative thing. The legislature has just said, here's the, the absolute last deadline. There's no reason to move it quickly. It's, it just seems like w- when, when the state wants to do something, like screw up election laws or, or gerrymander maps, we do that in a hurry, right? But when well, we, they did that in a big hurry, yes. And but when we want to, when we don't want to do something, we can drag it out and pretend we're being careful. It just sounds like nonsense to me. This should be up and running by June first. It's ridiculous. And then there's the added leave. issue of lawsuits. Like, is is there going to be a lawsuit? And if so, that's going to slow down the process even more. Well, actually, that is legitimate because in Ohio, people forget this. Gambling is pretty much still prohibited. We've made exceptions through the lottery, but which has been expanded beyond belief. I mean, the racinos are not lottery, but that's counted as lottery. And the only real exception to, to legalize gambling was the constitutional amendment for the four casinos. So as Ohioans, we have not changed the Constitution to legalize sports gambling. And because it's under the Casino Control Commission and not the Lottery Commission, that lawsuit has a really good chance of standing because it's still illegal. So it'll be interesting. That That's the thing that could gum this up beyond belief. And it's why I think you saw a lot of people say, no, 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 put it under the lottery because then we can you know, claim somehow it's legitimate even if it is not. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Does it look like anything can stop the Ohio legislature from sticking it to homeowners with higher tax bills to take care of the owners of commercial property? Layla, this one just is a juggernaut that they're rushing through, and there is no excuse for this. This is Mm -hmm. simply bad law. Right. It really doesn't appear that anything is going to stop this. House Bill 126 passed the Ohio Senate 24 to 7. Along party lines, as, as one would expect, it, it now heads back to the House for a concurrence vote on changes that were made in the Senate, but it likely won't hit any snags. And to remind listeners, this is the bill that prohibits school districts from going to their board of revisions and challenging property valuations. Under the current law, that's allowed because, of course, property taxes pay for schools. Uh, districts typically rely on real estate records, loan records, and, and a bunch of other data to, to either ask the board of revisions to increase the assessed value or, or fight the commercial property owners' attempts to lower their values. Under this bill, Only the property owner can initiate a challenge to evaluation. The bill would make it so that districts couldn't initiate that challenge on their own. They can file a counterclaim if the property owner is is trying to have their valuation lowered, but the school district has to approve that. It also prohibits school districts from appealing boards of revision decisions to the Ohio Board of Tax Appeals or from entering the settlements with property owners. (laughs) Wait, wait, stop, stop. That's the hilarious thing here. Is the... The Board of Tax Appeals was created solely to hear (laughs) appeals. I mean, that's what it's there for. It's in the name, and they're not allowed to appeal it. Yeah. I mean, the backers of the bill say this will simplify the adjudications on property tax disputes. But yeah, no duh. If you hamstring the ability of one party to engage in the dispute, it certainly simplifies things. I mean, I could tell you to shut up, and that will simplify our argument, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's it's preposterous on I its know. face. The, the, the thing that this we have now is the school boards are the balance on the scale. Commercial property owners bring in all sorts of bogus stuff and bamboozle boards of revision to prove that they should be paying much less in taxes. And the school districts are there to say, hold on, hold on, hold on. 
you know, look at this, look at the comparable. It's not that the school district makes the decision. They just provide contrary evidence that says they're bamboozling you and the Board of Revision makes the decision. Mm -hmm, And now mm -hmm. the legislature is taking that away to, to take care of the commercial property owners and God knows what they've provided to these legislators and sticking it to the public. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what happened with HB6. I, I, I'll, I'll never forget how HB6 rolled through. For years, First Energy had tried to get a law to force us all to give them billions of dollars in phony subsidies. And the legislature said no. The Governor Kasich was against it. And then Householder got elected House Speaker. Mike DeWine got elected governor, and they rammed <laughs> it through in a heartbeat. And we and it was just like, why are they doing this? There is no right. good reason for it. They gave you balderdash reasons about, oh, it's energy parity, and it was all nonsense. And we later find out, what was it? It was $60 million in bribes from First Energy <laughs> as an investment in their billions. Yeah. What's behind this? Because this is just exactly. as inexplicable. I know. The backers, so- the backers here say that the school districts in Ohio have become too aggressive and challenging these valuations and that they're not going after commercial properties only that they're coming after the middle class and and you know people with homes valued at less than two hundred thousand dollars but the districts that have testified say that's garbage they they that's only not true they they say that they challenge these things if there's a fifty thousand dollar difference between the county's valuation and then their own estimation and in most cases we're talking about multi-million dollar estates and commercial property and things like that so you know i mean quite clearly it's time to fix the state's school funding formula, right? It's kind of crazy that the legislature would choose this as this Band-Aid remedy when the state's school funding formula in general is unconstitutional. That was like decades but, ago that that was deemed. But this will stick it to the homeowners. Uh, the homeowners' bills will go up because the True. private commercial property owners won't. And, you know, Lou Blessing is the legislator that put himself out there, the sacrificial lamb to to say weird words to try and justify this. There's no justification. I'm, I have a column coming out this weekend that says this is what happens when journalism fades. There's no watchdogs in most of this state. Northeast Ohio knows about this issue because we've covered covered it like hell. We got more stories coming. We've talked about it in this podcast. The Columbus Dispatch has had a single story that I can find. But for the rest of the state, they don't know about it because journalism is gone. TV stations, local TV news used to cover this stuff. They don't come anywhere close to this kind of story anymore. And that's how bad things happen. That's mm-hmm. how First Energy happened. That's how this happens. And And you only can hope that if there is something sleazy and illegal in the background, that the Justice Department will come to the rescue because there really is no other guardrail with local media having so deteriorated. Well, and given that, I mean, thinking about ways that journalism can can come through here, I'm wondering if there's a way we can quantify for people what would be the backsplash here for the average uh, taxpayer in their community if they if they're you know there is no no you know no ability for the for the district to challenge commercial property evaluations um yeah <laughs> and they can't go to the board of appeals to appeal it's just yeah. like what, <laughs> what's the point of a board of appeals if you're not allowed to actually appeal you're listening to today in ohio ohio governor mike dewine has a chance to end all abortion access in southeast ohio lisa what is it 
It is Senate Bill 157. There were several technical amendments made, and they were approved by the Senate by this magic number, 24 to 7, so just like the last story. So it was obviously right along party lines. Governor DeWine, however, is not saying if he's going to sign this bill or not. So SB 157 requires life-saving care for babies that survive abortion, which is exceedingly rare. Um, They don't do, you know, Ohio bans abortion after 20 weeks when the fetus cannot, that's the dividing line between when the fetus can live outside the womb. So what this bill, what the amendments do is it revokes variances that were granted to two clinics in Southern Ohio on the hospital transfer agreements. Um, They instead opted for consulting agreements with local physicians and that those variants were granted for the Planned Parenthood in Southwest Ohio and Cincinnati and the Women's Medical Center in Dayton. So this bill, if this revokes those variances, then these clinics would have to close. They do not have hospital transfer agreements. And also, um, the variant says that if these doctors that were chosen for consulting agreements teach or work at a state college or university affiliated medical school, then they cannot serve as as a you know as a consultant there. So yeah, this is just another blow. And these are you know the only two clinics that I know of down there in Southern Ohio. So a lot of women would be out not only just abortion, but but just you know regular health care. I can't imagine that DeWine, who is uh, steadfast throughout his career uh, in opposing abortion, won't sign it. It also has a very good chance of being moot in six months when the Supreme Court does what we all expect, which is to erase Roe v. Wade and leave abortion as a a state's rights issue, because in Ohio, it'll be banned immediately. And so these kinds of laws to limit it won't really be needed. We'll have an outright ban. Uh, but we'll have to see if he does sign that. It's today in Ohio. First Energy has paid hundreds of millions of dollars in fines for all its bad behavior in the corrupt HB6 case, but it looks like they might have to pay lots more money in fines because of the way they worked with Sam Randazzo, the former public utilities chairman chosen by Ohio Governor Mike DeWine. Laura, what's the story? Well, this is one of four audits currently going on with First Energy and the Public Utilities Commission of Ohio, and they want this expanded because they say that it, they didn't that First Energy wasn't forthright about all of the money paid to Sam Randazzo and and all of the relationship that the company had with him. Except they won't do this right now. They won't expand the investigation because they don't want to interfere with the ongoing federal and state lawsuits, which how long is that going to take? I don't really know. The utility has admitted that it paid Randazzo more than $4.3 million in bribes. But on top of that, the PUCO is saying First Energy paid more than $13.4 million to a company that Randazzo controlled that's called the Industrial Energy Users Ohio. And the PUCO said it's learned during these investigations that this was a apparent side deal that First Energy had not disclosed. Right. And and the fine for that. Right. Is either it's ten thousand dollars per violation per day. So it could either be two days uh, because of those two days that it issued responses and it didn't mention Randazzo for a total of twenty thousand dollars. Or it could be ten thousand dollars per violation every day since late 2015. That's roughly eleven million dollars. Yeah, that's uh, it's it's going to be costly for First Energy. You know, it's great that they're getting dinged because what they did was despicable. They really tore apart state government 
with their greedy bribery scheme uh, and the fact that they are getting pounded like this, maybe it's a lesson to anybody else that seeks to corrupt the system. We ought to be looking at commercial property owners with regard to that previous conversation. <laughs> I, love, I love that the company's response was that they already disclosed Rendazzo and in regulatory filings last year. They're not admitting to any wrongdoing. Meanwhile, there's uh, an extra month that the PUCO staff just got to release another audit probing on First Energy, cust whether customer charges were misused in connection with HB6. It turns out First Energy dragged its feet in providing critical information to auditors, so the staffers haven't had enough time to ha allow First Energy to review the draft audit and redact any public or any private information. So it's it's like it's like they're not cooperating here. What a surprise! <laughs> Actually, it is a little bit of a surprise because they they did. I mean, as soon as this broke, they ran out the bad people at the top. They did start to to become cooperative. They did admit that they committed bribery, even though none of the people charged with taking the bribes have been convicted yet, and some haven't even been charged. The company has said, yeah, yeah, we gave out millions of dollars of bribes. Those are bribes. We, we paid bribes, and you know, we'll, we'll pay a big fine to you for doing so. Uh, but but they didn't quite right. They, they Mia culpa. They apologize, but it's not like they've been forthcoming in you know with anything else. No, it's not like hey, here's every other time we messed up and overcharged people. Let, let us give us your money back. Yeah, well, and you know you still have the shareholders lawsuit saying all this misbehavior has tanked the stock and it's cost us more. So, First Energy's headaches are far from over. It's today in Ohio. Who will take over as interim police chief when Justin Bibb becomes mayor in January, Layla? Justin Bibb made clear he would not maintain the current chief, Williams, yes. and he's leaving. But I, it, I think it would have been hard to find many people whose names are as well known as his choice. Right. But this is somebody we've been talking about for years. Yeah, it's Deputy Chief Wayne Drummond. He'll be the the department's interim chief uh, starting January 3rd. That's when Justin Bibb is sworn in. And yeah, he's replacing Chief Williams, who kind of saw the writing on the wall and announced that he'll retire that day. So Drummond is a 32-year veteran of Cleveland Police. He's He's been the deputy chief since early 2014, overseeing field operations and the Bureau of Traffic. That includes the Mounted Division and the Bureau of Community Relations. He once served as commander of the 6th District, which doesn't exist anymore. And and uh, he held other positions like the strike force detective, public information officer. He was a case preparation officer and, and equal employment officer. Interestingly, he also taught law enforcement ethics at Cuyahoga Community College. So that's a, that's an interesting credential. He's he's so highly regarded by his peers in the community. But, but this could very well be just a short-term appointment. Bibb, you know, has said that he intends to scour the country. He's going to um, look for a permanent chief by hiring a search firm experienced in finding recruits for police departments in major U.S. cities. So, you know, but I, I wonder how would that go over having a chief from outside the institution or really from outside the city? I, I can't recall a time in recent history when Cleveland recruited a police chief from elsewhere. Oh, no, I can. Pretty, haven't they been homegrown? Yeah, but 25 years ago, they brought somebody in, and then his son got got um, arrested in a gigantic uh, drug oh, no. sting, um, and he didn't last long because he was an outsider. The, the mm -hmm. thing about uh, Drummond is when he was 6th District Commander, People there found him to be beloved. They all knew his name. He was he's a, he's somebody that everybody was familiar with. You know, Mike Polensic was is the word councilman over there used to speak highly of him. He's the kind of guy that even though police see 
Bibb is anti-police because he supported issue 24, the civilian control movement. Drummond's the kind of guy that has respect, and, and he may be the right kind of bond between the new mayor who wants to bring accountability to the police and the mm-hmm. police who are wary of him. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this interim uh, appointment isn't a tryout to see how things go. And if mm-hmm. Drum, you know, maybe Drummond doesn't want it. Maybe Drummond's close to retirement. He's got to be close to retirement. Uh, but but if he wants it and it works out, I could see that becoming permanent. Very interesting choice. You know, we've been waiting for for Bibb to start naming cabinet members and things. Is he who's going to be part of his government? And we haven't seen much yet, even though he takes office in about two and a half weeks. This is the first one, and right out of the yeah. shoot, it seems like he made a good choice. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you that at this uh, kind of tenuous time, right after the the uh, uh, issue twenty four passage. You needed to choose a bridge builder, and and I think Drummond is probably a good choice in that regard. Now, if they just move the police headquarters back to the building we inhabit, (laughs) they'll be on a roll, right? (laughs) You're listening to Today in Ohio. What are Clevelanders who support civil rights for Muslims saying about the shocking story in Columbus where a purported supporter of Islamic causes for years was secretly spying and feeding intelligence to a hate group. Lisa, this is one of those stories that's out of a John le Carre novel, but it's true, and it has scared people in the Islamic community because it went on for so long. Right. I mean, it looks like it's been going on. Well, Romine Iqbal was removed as the director of the Council on American Islamic Relations, also known as CARE. He was over the Columbus and the Cincinnati chapters. He's been with CARE since 2006. They're not sure if it's gone on that long, but it's quite possible. Uh, Iqbal is believed to have been a spy. He was passing information to the Investigative Project on Terrorism, which is known as an anti-Muslim hate group, which is headed by Stephen Emerson out of the D.C. area. And apparently he was recording care meetings and forwarding confidential info to Emerson. Um, Recently, a care credit card was used on suspicious gun purchases. And then there was a package at one of their offices that had assault rifle parts. So I don't know what was going on there. But Steve Emerson struck back. He said that he would never monitor the Muslim community, but, quote, would not hesitate to uncover and expose radical Islamist activity by groups like CARE. And he's been, you know, he's been on, CARE has been on his naughty list for quite a long time. So, uh, yeah, I mean, everybody is shocked. I mean, the national director of CARE, the deputy director, Edward Ahmed, said they actually learned that there was a mole last year. It took them about a year to figure out who it was. They launched an investigation. And then Iqbal actually admitted to working with Emerson. And then the local director here in Cleveland, Julia Shearson, she's the executive director of CARE in Cleveland. She said, it was a shocking betrayal. I mean, Iqbal worked to build up this Cleveland and Cincinnati chapters for years. He was instrumental in that. And now to find out that he was a spy is just the ultimate betrayal. Well, we've been dealing with Julia Shearson for years in Cleveland. She's she's uh, outspoken and diligent in supporting civil rights for, for Muslims. And I mean, this w- it would be as shocking for us if it turned out she had done something like that as it must be in Cleveland. It's unthinkable, really, that the director of care in any city would be secretly working with hate groups to undermine the very cause of care. 
uh, and and I'm sure they're all taking a deeper look. The thing that is is kind of striking to me, you know, care speaks up for for Muslims. Wherever there's discrimination, wherever somebody reports something in such a way that could be read as discriminatory, they speak up. They do. They really do good work to try and make sure we're sensitive to these issues. The idea that a hate group would be secretly spying and undermining them, I, I don't know. It just, it, I would never have seen this coming. This is really one that you sit back and think, what are we coming to? Uh, and what, you know, what happens to this group now in Columbus and Cincinnati? It's almost like it's a fraud. Right. And they've destroyed the trust. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, he was a very influential man and, you know, he's destroyed the trust in him and, and parts of the, inf- you know, the institution that he was over. So, yeah. And then and what's with the gun parts? Why was he buying gun purchases? Why were there gun parts sent to one of the offices? What's that about? I know it's uh, it's really quite, quite frightening stuff. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Is the latest coronavirus surge so strong that it is toppling all records in the pandemic? What did the Cleveland Clinic and Metro Health report this week? Laura, we are again in frightening territory. Yeah, it just keeps getting worse. Ohio on Wednesday reported 10,588 new cases of COVID-19. This was inflated because of a delayed reporting error of 840 cases because of some manual transmission issue from some of the the Board of Health. But the vac- that's even without the additional cases, the state would still would have had 9,748. That is the most since January 7th of this year, which is mind-boggling because people were not vaccinated on January 7th. It's been a year since vaccines have been available, yet the hospitals are overflowing. The Cleveland Clinic is seeing the highest hospitalization since the start of the pandemic. I believe Metro Health is at that point as well. And they they really don't know what they're going to do about this. They say they they can expand into overflow space, but they haven't said whether they're going to rebuild some of those uh, temporary hospitals that they had set up at the beginning of COVID and never used. Akron General, which is a Cleveland Clinic hospital, has a trailer outside that's refrigerated as a morgue because it, it holds twice as many bodies as the regular morgue, and they need them because people are dying and filling up the hospitals. Well, the, we were talking before we started recording that – we're wondering whether there's a whole wave that's not being counted, that we're seeing more and more signs that people that are vaccinated or boosted are getting COVID, but they're not ending up in hospitals. They're not necessarily going for formal tests. They might be using at-home tests, which are in short supply now because so many people have gotten them. And we're starting to see anecdotal evidence of this. And I, you just wonder, with, with the holiday coming in, in a week and a half, you know, what What can we do to make people aware of all this so that they take care? Because if this thing is flourishing like it seems to be and all sorts of people get together with strangers and don't take precautions, the wave we get hit with in January could, could make this one look like nothing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know what the answer is. It's not like people don't know the risks. And I, I don't know, people have just decided that they have to move on with their lives and they just don't care. There are still people that don't think that it's real, even though that's hard to believe at this point. There are people that don't want to be vaccinated. I, I don't know what it's going to take 
to get the change in the behavior. And we've talked about this numerous times on this podcast about there kind of being two two sides here. There are the people who are vaccinated and boosted and, and feel like they're safe, even though there is no 100% safe. And I feel like they want to go out and live their life. And then there are people that aren't protected, but also don't necessarily care. And I mean, it's not like any of this information is new to us. Right, you say boosted. I say boosted. I wonder which phrase is the appropriate I mean, one. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there will be. I mean, have you ever said boosted before this year? No, it's going to be no. like a new pandemic yeah, word. I don't know. We'll see. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Why is Cuyahoga County asking the public for ideas on where to build the new county jail? And what is one place where the county might not want to be looking? Layla, I don't really get this. I mean, we've been in site selection mode for a while. There are very specific needs for a jail site. And it seems bizarre to me that it's like, hey, yeah, we're doing a professional site search. But hey, you got any ideas? What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so this this committee that's overseeing the plans to build the jail, it has narrowed it down to like they have this list of 28 potential locations. But in recent days, the county has made what what to me sounds like a very odd request. They, they want to make sure they're capturing the universe of potentials. So they're looking for property owners out there who would, who would volunteer to sell their land to the county for the jail. Of course, they say all the criteria has to apply in the vetting process. The eligible properties have to be within the county and have a minimum of 30 acres of contiguous buildable land. You know, those sites with 40 or more acres are preferred. And then the preference will be given to properties based on proximity and drive to the courthouse and, you know, and the medical facilities and things like that so but basically they want to consider all their options is how they're selling this and and also very interestingly Jeff Applebaum who's the project manager leading the committee told reporter Caitlin Durbin that the committee is actually not the one making this request for the expanded search but he declined to say who is huh <laughs> so yeah, I, you know a, yeah it's a big <laughs> hunt and it's like what do you, what do you mean yeah I, I'm, I'm looking to get out of my house so let me let me hey you want to build it where my house is I mean there you say to get the entire universe the entire universe is the county it's you know they they know where the land is they know what's undeveloped they know what their criteria are that's especially if you need 40 acres i mean you know (laughs) what do you i just this makes no sense to me real quickly what's the one site that they absolutely shouldn't be looking at so there's been this interesting development city councilman tony brancatelli who uh you know is outgoing now um he has raised a challenge to what he says has been characterized as the top choice on the county's list and it's this site in slavic village between Fleet and Pershing, known as the Cuyahoga Valley Industrial Center. He said he's raised this objection before, back when Armin Budish first named it as the top site. Um, It has been certified as an Ohio job-ready site. So it's a former steel mill slag dump, and the state paid $3.5 million to remediate it, to remediate all the environmental contamination, and to turn it into a development-ready property meant to attract jobs. So the money also helped with establishing rail service, extension of utilities, blah, blah, blah. And so this is a site that can accommodate 750,000 square feet of new manufacturing space and could attract as many as 1,000 new jobs. And Brancatelli says using this to build a jail is a totally inappropriate use. And there's also this alternative proposal on the table to use the site as a container storage facility in exchange for freeing up other land for the jail. And Brancatelli says that's a non-starter, too. So... 
He's drafted this emergency resolution opposing it, but, you know, there's no more council meetings left in the year and he's <laughs> and, and leaving he, office. So. And he's out of office, yeah. I, right. I, I, and I don't want to give it away, but we will have a follow on this that makes it even Thank you for not giving it away. <laughs> more suspicious. So That's stay right. tuned. Look on Cleveland.com. It's Today in Ohio. We've gone over time. We got one more episode this week to wrap up the week's news. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Lisa. And thank you for listening to this podcast.